It's Friday, February 18th, episode seven of the Processing Podcast with Mary and Sophie. As always, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Today, we have a very, 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 three varies special episode for you guys. We'll soon introduce you to the first ever guest to join the program. But first off, Sophie, the most exciting news, I would say, for American football (laughs) fans came to life this week. We have a Super Bowl champion of Super Bowl 56. The Los Angeles Rams are champions. I have to say, out of all the NFL watching I've done in my life, And of course, I'm a Rams fan, so I say this with bias. That was by far the most stressful football game I've ever experienced in my life. I about had a heart attack multiple times, whether it have been a penalty that wasn't called or was called or um, a lack of offense, et cetera. But overall, I mean, L.A., props to you. I would say 11 out of 10 job with the entire production top to bottom of Super Bowl 56. I don't know, Mary, you're sounding a little biased. <laughs> <laughs> Just a I don't little. Know if that's completely objective. I don't know if I can <laughs> completely take your word for it there. Um, but I don't know. For me, the biggest thing that surprised me that I wasn't aware of going into the game was that Sean McVay is the youngest coach ever to take home a Super Bowl championship. And I know this has been discussed a lot. But for me, and I know during this podcast, we talk a lot about our professions and we talk a lot about professional aspirations and, you know, to become an NFL coach, like in his industry, he's already, he's made it like that's pretty top level. Like you can't get much better than that. But then at 36 to have won a Super Bowl, it's like the end all be all of your industry, like in football, like you're an NFL coach and you won a Super Bowl at 36. Like what is next? You know what I mean? It's like, what does he aspire to from here moving forward? Because he's already done it and he's 36. So to me, it's just interesting to be so, so young and to already achieve the best of the best. So um, I just wasn't aware. And it was very shocking to me to to learn that. (laughs) Interestingly enough that you say that he was ambiguous after he won the Super Bowl in the press conferences when people were asking about next year and he didn't give an answer. All he said was, Um, I really want to spend time with my family and my kids, but I think at this point, now that the parade has happened, um, there, it was kind of confirmed that he would be back with the Rams. We don't totally know, but I mean, yeah, at 36 to have done it all, um, that's pretty awesome. So now you just have to add on and win, go Tom Brady level and win with a team that doesn't have all the star power that the LA Rams had this year with Aaron Donald, with Cooper Cub, Matthew Stafford, all of the above. That's, I would say that's his, his next journey is to win without the so-called NFL super team. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, yeah, like what's next? You just win more Super Bowls, I guess, but I suppose there's like other challenges to overcome. You can factor in, but I mean, the thing that's generating probably equally amount um, of buzz as the game was the halftime show. I mean, the halftime show blew everybody away. Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar. I mean, I felt like for a lot of the show, I was being transported back to 2007. I mean, Eminem, like what? I hadn't heard of, I mean, maybe he's been putting out music. I haven't been paying attention, but, um, he's like 49 years old now. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, Eminem is 49. Like I felt really old, but also he did really well. I mean, I would have never guessed that he was 49 and everybody just absolutely had so much fun on stage and it was an incredible show. But I feel like that generated just as much buzz as the actual game. The entire performance was a perfect ode to Compton, Inglewood, LA, Mm -hmm. like exactly what encapsulates music in the area. And, um, I, (laughs) Sophie told me before what her thoughts were on the halftime show. And I said, absolutely no Eminem slander. (laughs) And on top of that, what do you mean? You haven't heard of Eminem. He's in my opinion, the greatest rapper of all time. I've heard of him, him, but I mean, recently, like how, how, how do you not just cycle him throughout your, your day-to-day music playlist? It's just, I don't know. Like my playlist is pretty <laughs> laid back. Pretty. I mean, I think Eminem's energy level and overall vibe is like not my daily vibe. So <laughs> I, like, I wouldn't think of myself like, oh, like an Eminem girl. Like, no, I, that's yeah. not. So maybe that's way, why. On the way to Oak Middle School, I was jamming the recovery album every morning. Like my <laughs> honestly, I love the way you lie. Part two with Rihanna, honestly, um, all of it your energy that makes sense like now that I know that you were listening to that on the way to school every day like your energy at school makes sense now like that's a hundred percent accurate well I am eager to hear what our upcoming guest thinks about the Ram Super Bowl the halftime show all of the above because she spent a portion of her time in the sports broadcasting in- industry covering the development of the Rams in LA And aside from that, I mean, what hasn't she done? About nine Super Bowls, she covered Kobe Bryant's last game in the NBA, the first Stanley Cup that the Los Angeles Kings won at Staples Center. She was the first female lead sports anchor to go on air for in LA as a whole, Los Angeles, but she worked for Fox 11. And um, Sophie, I know you're excited. I'm excited. We haven't talked to her yet at the time that we're recording this introduction, um, but we are flooded with questions that we want to ask her. She's a pioneer for females in the media industry as a whole, especially Los Angeles. There's a lot of different um, Mm -hmm. markets in the U.S. and around the world, but Los Angeles is a different breed. I think we all saw that just with the Super Bowl on Sunday. Um, So Oh man, I'm excited to talk to her, Sophie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys, when Mary told me she got this guest, I was blown away. It's the first female sports anchor in LA, in, in a big, ginormous market like LA. And I am just so interested to ask her about when she was up and coming in the late 80s, early 90s, kind of pioneering the field as a woman. To me, that is super interesting as um, a woman in my own field. Granted, our agency is like 85% women and I don't ever feel like out of place necessarily as a woman, but I always find that super interesting um, being a professional woman and kind of dealing with the various stereotypes and issues that come along with that. Um, I'm also very interested just to hear her perspective on like work-life balance, because obviously in your field, you've mentioned it many times, Mary, but it can be very difficult to maintain mental health and a good work-life balance. So I'd be really interested to hear from her what her thoughts are and if she has any advice for our listeners. And she's worked alongside the best of the best to ever broadcast in sports. 
Um, so we won't make you wait any longer. Without further ado, here's Liz Habib. Round of applause. Woo! <laughs> Are we ready to go? Yeah. Yes. All right, Liz, we have to start here. The Los Angeles Rams just won the Super Bowl. We started the episode by talking about it. And I have to get your take on how you thought the game went. You've obviously had extensive experience covering this Rams football team. And I know you know better than anyone. There's so many pieces that make the LA Rams unique. Aaron Donald, the young coach in Sean McVay, Cooper Cup. I mean, you've seen the progression of those players. So just tell us what you thought and even add in what you thought about the halftime show. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I've, yeah, you're right. I've covered that team since before they even came back to Los Angeles. So it's, it's really extensively since 2016 that I've covered that Rams team. I think that it was a Hollywood ending. It was a team that was built for the Hollywood ending, right? It was built for uh, getting to SoFi Stadium, the stadium that was built over the last four years. And it was a team that was made for, um, for going there and winning the game. Um, last year, when the Rams picked up Matt Stafford and they traded away Jared Goff and everybody thought, my God, Sean McVay and Les Snead, the general manager, must be crazy. I said, no, I, I know what they're doing. They uh, they put their heads together and they want to win and they want to win now. And then they picked up the free agents they needed to get there and they did everything that uh, they expected to do. And the amazing thing about it is it's the Hollywood ending. And out in Los Angeles, we see Hollywood endings. They seem to happen out there. They know how to orchestrate Hollywood endings. We knew years ago Aaron Donald would be who Aaron Donald is now, right? And I don't know if anyone was a believer in Matt Stafford, but certainly Sean McVay was. Um, and it worked, you know, and Cooper Cup really developed into, uh, you know, he took himself to a level that that really is unequaled, has, has been practically unequaled. I think maybe only one other player in the history of the NFL is at a level that Cooper Cup is playing at. So that was really great. Um, the halftime show was very L.A., very L.A. Yeah, down So to L.A., that's they, exactly what right? I said where they showed all of the different, you know, they showed a lot of the different areas around Compton and people of Compton just loved it. Um, so, you know, you couldn't have an LA Super Bowl without, without having Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Uh, certainly. I don't think, I mean, I think that's so LA. I would have loved to have seen a little bit more Latino culture though. You know, I mean, Los Angeles is Latino and yeah. I would have loved to have seen a little mix of Latino culture in there as well. So I missed a little bit in there that I thought could have been even more LA, you mm -hmm. know? So that's what I thought. It was great. No, I love that edition of it. Honestly, I was so caught up in all of what went well. Um, that's that's a perfect that's a perfect comment. And what else could have been represented? I mean, Sophie and I are both SoCal natives, and we know very well how beautiful the diversity is in SoCal. I'm in Minnesota now, and there's nowhere near as much diversity. Still a great place to live, um, but that could have maybe been um, shown a little bit better. Well, moving on, Liz. Um, talking about your career, you've obviously spent a lot of time broadcasting sports in LA, and now you're in Syracuse at the SI Newhouse School of Journalism as a professor. Can you give us insight on what brought you here and where you're at in your um, sports journalism career right now? So I was working out in Los Angeles and I'd worked there for the last 16 years, right? And I did something that no one else had, no other woman had done. That was, I became the main sports anchor at a television station in Los Angeles. Now there were, there have been other women who worked in sports in Los Angeles, right? But not at the local channels as the main sports anchor. So I'm really proud of being able to get myself that far and work really hard. And it was a battle. It was a battle to have that job. It was a battle to keep that job. And I loved that job. But after all those years, I didn't get 
my contract renewed back in May. So it hasn't even been a year where I haven't been on TV in Los Angeles. I went back for the Super Bowl and saw a lot of the people I know, but it hasn't even been a year. And unfortunately, ladies, I was replaced by a guy. A guy's doing the job now. And it's very frustrating for me because of the battle that I fought to get there. Uh, there's absolutely no reason. There was no reason really to replace me. None that I knew of that was really important. I was told I didn't live up to the standards of the position <laughs> after 16 years, yeah. after covering <laughs> anything and everything. And a lot of the comments that I got when I was back in Los Angeles was, well, this just isn't the same without you. It just seems like it's the Rams and you, and you were so much a part of that team coming back. And that's true. That is all true. But this is that, you know, I'm frustrated about it. I'm angry about it in some ways, but I got this beautiful opportunity pretty quickly out of losing uh, that position. And that was to come and to teach. I'm a full on teaching professor, visiting teaching, assistant teaching professor here at the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications here at Syracuse. And I teach sports journalists and I teach a morning show and I teach students. I teach the basics. I teach the sophomores. I teach them how to write you know, for, for broadcasting, I teach them how to become reporters. Um, so it's, it's very satisfying. It's a lot. I love my students. It's a lot of fun. I love my students, you know, so I don't know where I go from here, but I know that at this moment, I have this sort of temporary visiting professor job here. And it was what a gift, right. To, to just walk into a situation where I'm a full-on professor at Newhouse. It's, it's really a lot of fun for me. And I'm really happy to be here at the moment. Wow. Well, what a great way to turn like a not so ideal situation into such a great new opportunity to shape young minds. I think that is so awesome. But going back to what you were saying, it's funny. I was actually telling my parents that I was interviewing you today. And first of all, my mom's the biggest fan. But second of all, my I love dad- her. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Women are fans. They see yeah. other oh, women yeah. in positions like this and they're fans of that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And my my dad as well was saying, you know, he really just felt like you were part of the team, essentially, when you were reporting. And so I very much resonate with what you said before. But going back to what you were saying about how you kind of had to basically pioneer your way as a woman in the field. Um, My question for you, especially as somebody who's just now entering my field and my field, I'm, uh, I work at an advertising agency, PR agency in Costa Mesa. Um, It's very um, female. (laughs) I would say like 85% of my coworkers are female, but for me, it's interesting that you had aspired to a career that for a long time was not even possible for women. So what was that like? for you to aspire to something that wasn't possible for women. So here's the deal, Sophie, with what I did. I, it was not on my radar when I left college, right? So I, it was a long time ago when I graduated from college and there were no women doing this. It just didn't yeah. exist. It exists now. But when I was in college or I was developing my career path, there were no role models. It didn't come into my consciousness that I could actually be a main Monday through Friday sports anchor. It wasn't part of who, even my thinking, right? So I spent 34 years on television so far, right? And my first 15 years, I was a news anchor because that was realistic, right? You yeah. could be the, the news anchor on television. Yeah. That's what you went for. And sort of that was what I did. And I loved it because I loved to be a part of, you know, what's going on, current events, being in the know, finding out what's going on out there. It, I worked, so I jumped around a little bit, right? So I, I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, and then I went to small town, Steubenville, Ohio. I started there, Steubenville, Wheeling, West Virginia. Then I went to Cleveland, Ohio. Then I went to Phoenix. Well, along the way, I had covered sports, but never really thought about covering sports. I was just sent out as a reporter to do certain things, right? 
when I got to Los Angeles, I was working, doing things. The, the manager who I worked for one day came to me and said, I'm going to put you on sports this weekend. And I thought, okay. Now they sent me out to games all the time. I'd cover the Lakers or I'd cover the Angels or I'd cover the Dodgers, but I never was put on the desk as the sports anchor. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay. I said, I've never done that before, but okay. And he kept me there. And for the first year, I didn't take it seriously enough. I thought of it as a way to get myself off street corners, reporting on feral cats and dogs down wells or whatever <laughs> I was reporting on in Los Angeles. Right. And I, I was always an anchor. I was a show host. And, and so it was, a, it was a climb. Like I lot, what happened? I was in Phoenix. I didn't get my contract renewed. Right. So this is the second time in my career. I didn't get my contract renewed. So I didn't get my contract renewed. And I sat out for a year and a half. It was a long time before I could get back on television. So when I came back and I got on in Los Angeles, I took whatever they gave me. Mm -hmm. And what that was, was a weekend job, Sundays only, right? Sundays only. And I, I was sent out as a general assignment reporter. I had more experience at the news desk. I traveled the world. I'd covered presidents. I'd, I won awards. I had more experience than all the anchors on the set combined. Combined. I had more experience doing it. Wow. But I took the job because I knew I'd done interview after interview after interview. I just couldn't land anything, right? I don't know why, but I couldn't land anything. So I got to the point where I just said, I have to take what it takes. I have to take what I can get. Once they see me, I said, in my mind, I said, once they see me, they'll use me, right? And that's what happened. They saw me and they started to use me. And then they, they, there was never enough of an opening where I could get this sort of job on the set or job hosting a show or job anchoring the news, if that's what I wanted to do. So when I was given this opportunity to do sports on the weekends to fill in, it got me off the streets. And that's where I wanted to be because I kept thinking, once they see me, they're going to give me more, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't take it seriously enough in the first year. And they, they told me they were going to take me off. And I said, no, 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 no. Give me another shot. And then what happened was I, I created it. I made it something that I loved. I didn't know in that first year, I had no guidance. I had no help, whatever. I had to decide who I was going to be. Right. Yeah. So that first year I, I was still kind of toying. What was I did? I, so I created something that I loved and I learned that I didn't have to worry so much about this, although, although I'm good at that now, but I didn't have to worry so much about the stats of every game that, that, that I could make this something I love. And what that was is I connected to the local teams. I covered the local stuff. I really got myself invested in that and I got good at it. And there was nobody to help me. There was no one who stepped back and said, oh, you should do highlights like this. I had to figure it out. I probably could have reached out to people more, but I'm not sure I had those role models still. I'm not sure I had those role models back in like 2008 or nine or something like that. I just had to do my best and learn it on TV. And I made a lot of mistakes and I was humiliated right along the way, but I found a niche. I got, I got myself in there. I figured out how to do it. I made a lot of contacts. I worked as hard as I possibly could. And, and that's how I did it. So it was just, it was like starting at zero and teaching myself something new. I was good at TV. I had to learn to get good at sports. Yeah. I mean, that's so interesting. Cause it's, it's like the opportunity that provided the most, um, opportunity for you was something that was scary. And I think that's a lot of the time, something that people need to face is something you're not comfortable with and something that's outside of your comfort zone. So I love hearing that that was your journey. Yeah, it was, it was, it was terrifying. Yeah. I can't believe that was all for the most part in the market in LA. Right, Mary? finding your ground footing and who yeah. you were. I mean, I'm doing that at a small station where you started in front of an LA audience. Holy moly. 
Right. And I made mistakes. Right. And I never felt supported. Like I never felt like there was anyone in there to support me or to help me or to encourage me along. I was always feeling like um, maybe I wasn't doing it right. Maybe I was saying it wrong. And when you're a woman in a world of men, they'll laugh at you. There were times. I, okay. So news reporting is a little different than sports reporting. It shouldn't be, but it is. Okay. Just because in news reporting, we're very, we can just ask our questions. We can be, you know, straight and direct and sports reporting got to finesse a little bit, you know, um, because you're going to see those same people all the time. Coaches would get mad at me while I was asking questions because I couldn't think of the right words. Um, you know, I just like, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing. Now I know what I'm doing and I could look back at myself and go, wow, that's sad because I was fine. But I didn't get any help along the way, you know, and, and that was the hard part. The hardest part was not having the support along the way that eventually along came a news director who told me, hey, you're great. You're doing great. You know, and then another news director, you're unbelievable, you know, and those people made me feel like I was doing OK. But there was a lot of people who who didn't support me, who laughed at me. It was a tough it's been a tough road, you know, and, and so. After all of that, to not get renewed and to see a man take the job that I had. And look, that's the way I see it. That's yeah. tough. That's tough. But you know what it means for me? It means there's something else and I'm going to find my way again. I found my way there, right? I was, a news, I was a news anchor and a news reporter and I traveled the world and I covered the impeachment of presidents and big world international news. I switched over and I became a sports anchor and a sports reporter and went to, you know, 10 Super Bowls in a row, nine Super Bowls in a row, whatever, you know, went to... 10 out of 11 years, um, I went to cover the World Series, the things that I've done. So in each level, right, I was able to really rise. So now I'll find something else. I have to. I think um, your experiences really speak volumes to where you've landed or where you've you've been able to grow in your career. Because I think, you know, an individual like Erin Andrews, who at in her young career, John Tortorella, a, a um, NHL head coach was her mentor. John Bucci-Gras, his mentor at one point was a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And we've talked extensively on this show about mentorship. And yep. Sophie speaks very highly of her workplace and the mentorship she has. I think in my workplace, there are people available, but there is, you know, a lack of mentorship because everyone's not looking out for you specifically. You're creating your own path and your, your effort has to show. So I guess, Liz, can you explain the progression of your perspective in the industry? And I'm sure you've touched on it at the beginning. You know, you, you were just trying to create your own. Once you found your footing, how did you see yourself fit in and, and just how you viewed your career goals and, and what you continue to love about covering sports? I love covering sports because it's so fun. You know, it brings such joy to people. You know, it's so much fun. It's just, it, it kind of, you know, it can get you through a day when you know there's a great game and you can talk about whether you like this or you like that. And you can have an opinion and you're, everyone's allowed to have an opinion and it can just mm -hmm. be a big mashup of stuff, right? You know, so I, I like that about sports. I love that about sports. And and to go to work every day. I mean, I used to say I used to go to work and cover Kobe Bryant every day. It's so flipping fun. Like, what are you doing tonight? Well, I'm going to the, you know, Boston Celtics Lakers game. It's outrageous, the stuff that I was able to do and get paid to do it, right? So that was the fun of it. You're right about mentorship. So the thing, here I am at Syracuse University, and I have this tremendous opportunity to be a role model and a mentor to people. And I've always, always taken it very seriously when someone comes to me and asks me for help, because I didn't think I had the help. I never had the help that I needed. And I don't know if that was my fault because I didn't reach out. I don't know the answer to those things. And I think sometimes it was really hard for me along the way that I had so much, I had to fight so hard. And I don't think anyone should have to 
fight that hard. They should have people there for them who reassure them that they're doing it the right way. Now that I'm older, I can look back at myself younger and go, son of a gun, I was doing it the right way. I wasn't wrong. You know, now I know everything I need to know because I've been in the, in the inside on everything in the locker rooms. And I was always fine, but I didn't know that, you know, because there were gender issues. I have brothers who didn't think I should be covering sports. There were gender issues, right? And those gender issues for us, for me, for anybody, it could be either way, a gender issue for a man or a gender issue for a woman, that you feel like, you know, there are people of, there are overwhelmingly men who do this. I even have overwhelmingly men in my classrooms, men who want to do sports, and that, that there's sort of, they don't look at you as the same. And that gender issue causes an insecurity and a fight and a fight, you know, you really have to prove yourself harder. So I think that um, hopefully we're getting better. You know, you guys, look, I've been doing this for 34 years. Why is this, in, why is it, why am I a pioneer in anything after 34 years, right? Yeah. Why was I the first woman? There should have been someone before me. Yeah. So that's how slow the Titanic's turning here. And then why wasn't I valued enough to be kept mm-hmm. in, a, in a position that I was kept in? It's not moving fast enough. The value's still not there. So Mary, we have a long way to go, but we have to help each other, you know? Well, what I really love is that, you know, despite everything you went through, despite not having the support that you needed, you didn't internalize that. I love that now you're looking back and you're saying, no, I was doing everything right. I just didn't have that mentorship. And I feel like a lot of times, especially younger people who are entering their industry, like me and Mary, it can be really easy to internalize a lot of that negative feedback that you get, um, whether it's you know messing up and feeling ashamed that you messed up or whatever it may be. Um, so I guess my next question is now that you are looking back at your career and you're thinking about your beginnings, what is one thing you would tell your past self, um, if you could. I've had a really, really great career. I really have. I fought and worked so hard. I think that I would tell myself to reach out more, mm-hmm. to be a part of more, to not let the fight get in the way, mm-hmm. you know, the battle of being, uh, to be the great best or the greatest or know the most, or go on the air and always have the latest information, but to reach out more to organizations, maybe professional organizations, to be a part of more, to create more of a community for myself and not stand on an island. And I think there was too much time where I felt alone and, and still have felt alone in it. And that if you can create a community around you and not just, I mean, you need the support of your family or your, your spouse or your friends or whatever, you need that support. And I had tremendous support in that area, tremendous support in that area, but but you need the you need the professional support. You need to search for it a little bit. That you can't sit back and say there's no one here for me. That you must go out and look for it. And maybe I didn't do that. Maybe I was a little too independent. And I think when I look back, I might tell myself to try harder to reach out to people to look for that help. I could be wrong, Sophie. Maybe I did. Maybe I did reach out, and I'm 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 being hard on myself. I've I've tended to be hard on myself, right? Yeah. But um. But I think that, that reaching out to other people is very, very important. And Sophie, I did, I did internalize. I mean, the shame, like you brought that up. You made a mistake for God's sake. Yeah. It wasn't the end of the world. Instead, you yeah. felt the weight yeah. of the world on top of you. Like, oh my God, I made a mistake and I'm a girl and they're just never going to accept me in this now. And that pressure, that, that feeling that I just had to do better and try harder, you know, it's, it, it was, it's intense. It might just be my personality, but that's intense. Can you yeah. elaborate on that a little bit, Liz? So 
Um, I've heard in the state of Minnesota, a couple big name reporters in Minneapolis express, um, you know, behind closed doors that the the chatter of the audience is getting a little much and it's it's pretty powerful words that are coming at them. I mean, we're in the age of social media. You're going to hear or see people's opinions and that's just how it is. How did you or how do you handle that and make sure that you, your identity is so strong and you're so confident in who you are that that doesn't tear you down. You know, Mary, I get where social media is and I don't understand why anyone reads their comments. I do understand why. I know that engagement's important, right? Mm -hmm. But there's an obsession there that causes a problem. I'm going to tell you that I had feedback my entire career, that even before social media, right, people wrote letters they hand wrote letters, they typed letters. I would get letters about the way I dressed. It was always about how I looked, you know? I got that feedback, right? And it was tough. I had to have people along the way help me when some of those things came down hard. But you have to, you can never read the good and you can never read the bad. You have to stay centered in who you are, but you do need good. You have to work for good people. You have to hope you're working for people who are good. And if the people you're working for aren't good enough, then you reach out to other people who are in your field and in your industry and you get help from them because they're the ones who help keep you centered on who you are. You know, um, the thing about me is I've always been told I have this big personality. I can be very polarizing to people because I'll state my opinion and state my mind. But I have to be, it's tough to be that person. And I, you know, I, I sometimes hold myself back because I, I know I could, this could create a windstorm, especially now, my God, things can create so much trouble and will I lose a job and what can I say and what can't I say? You know, I do feel, and I, I feel as though I was muzzled at times at my job and that's a very difficult thing. Um, I think that it's really, I think some of it just comes with age and wisdom. I think that, um, I think again, you just have mentors are the best people for you. They don't necessarily, by the way, they don't have to be in your field. They can just be people who understand the world, just, or just somebody with some real, you know, wisdom. Wisdom is a good thing, you know, and to always keep your mental health where it should be. You know, if that's, if that's seeing a therapist weekly, then that's what you need to do to keep yourself grounded. Yeah, that's actually, that leads me to one of my next questions. Um, I think, you know, as we are transitioning from being in college and now to being full-time workers, um, I feel like it can be difficult to really strike um, a healthy work-life balance, especially in yours and Mary's field. You guys are working 10-hour days, just absolutely burning it at both ends. So my question is, how do you prioritize your mental health on like a weekly basis? And what are maybe some of your routines or tips that you have for some of our listeners who are trying to figure it out? Sophie, I'm not a good person to ask about that because I, <laughs> I really just had work. I really just had work. You know, it's, and I'm going to admit the truth to this, right? Like, so here I am in Syracuse now and I work during the day, right? I have morning classes. I have afternoon classes. I have these, things. but then at night I'm at home. Well, I'm not used to being at home, Sophie, at night. I worked 34 years for the most general, most, the major majority at night. I would go to work at night. I did everything at night. I don't even know what to do at night. When I'm sitting at home, I'm like, well, what do you do now? I don't know what to do because my, I don't, I didn't have work-life balance to make it to my level. I didn't, I just didn't have it. I, I am happy that the younger generation wants to happen. I'm happy that work-life balance is important because it should be important, right? That should be important. In my generation, they used to say to us, you can have it all. No, you can't have it all. No, you cannot have it all. I'm not married. I don't have children. Mm -hmm. I had 
a 34 year career. I still am in my career. I'm still a journalist. I teach journalism. I don't know what's next for me, but that was what I did. I don't believe you have to, you choose, right? So if you want work like balance, you've got to choose it. If your employer's good about it, you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Careful who you work for. Be careful who you work for. It matters, you know, cause there are employers who care. Yeah. And luckily my agency definitely does. And I feel very fortunate because mm-hmm. I talked to my mentors. I talked to my parents. I talked to so many people um, who were working in the generation before me. And they said, we just didn't have work. life balance. you just worked as hard as you could. You mm-hmm. tried to get a promotion and they didn't really care if your mental health was suffering. Just- yeah, I think you might do better than we did. Your generation might do better than we did. Yeah, Mary. And even at my age, I mean, I grew up always telling my friends and telling, um, I mean, everyone that I was never going to have kids and I was never going to get married. And the reason is, is every female broadcaster I saw on TV would leave and go have kids and come back and not have their position or just never, um, fulfill the same role that they once held. And that terrified me what I'm going to put in all this work and then go leave to have kids and get married. Um, but luckily I've seen, Diana Rossini, she fought to have her position back at ESPN after she left and have kids. And it's, I mean, we talked about it on our last episode, but Tom Brady stepping back from football and potentially another championship to spend time with his family when he could potentially uh, play and have success. So I think it is um, maybe not our generation taking the initiative, but it's it's definitely going to to trickle down. And I'm forever grateful for that because everything that's done um, will eventually affect that affect us. So um, I want to move on, Liz, the positives. You know, you covered the Lakers, Kobe Bryant, many Super Bowls and my personal favorite, the L.A. Kings first Stanley Cup. Can you relive some of your favorite moments? And can you start with that LA King Stanley Cup? Because I was at every playoff game with my dad, season ticket holder. And um, I mean, a lot of people Remind bash me, Mary, LA was that the year? Fans. Was that the year Alex Martinez did in overtime? And the jazz hands? No, that was the second year. Was that the second year? Yeah, Rob Scuderi got pop, boarded remind- in the... Um, yeah, you, look, I have to make you remind me of it. So I, I've covered yeah. three Stanley Cups, two King Stanley Cups. I covered the Duck Stanley Cup. I would even say I covered uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins earlier. I don't know if I covered it, but I did interviews with the Penguins when they won way back in the 90s. Um, but I was certainly at three different Stanley Cups. Um, there is nothing, nothing like uh, Stanley Cup hockey. Sometimes people say to me, Liz, what's your favorite sport? And I'll be like, oh, I don't know, seventh game in the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I mean, seventh game in the Stanley Cup, and then it goes to overtime or something. Like, this is the, the most insane, outrageous, fun thing you could ever see, right? You know, and for the Kings, and they hadn't won, and this was such a big deal. And, and you know, we haven't seen the Kings do well now in a couple of years, and they've sort of fallen off in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. I hate to see them fall off, but they had these this sort of several years of glory in there. I don't know if we call it five years or whatever, where they won a couple Stanley Cups. And it was just so much fun fun. There's nothing like Stanley Cup hockey. It is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's I, one of the moments. I still say to this day that I've graduated college. I've gotten my first job. I don't know whatever accomplishments I've had. Nothing will top being at that LA Kings first Stanley Cup win at home. Um, it was, I mean, it really spoke volumes to, even though LA is ginormous, the hockey fans that are there love their hockey. Oh, and I mean, experiencing yeah. Philadelphia, that's another level of, 
of hockey fan. I grew up having the perception that Philly fans were a little bit nuts. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they are. Um, and a- another question is you moving around the country. It's inevitable with this career. And you find yourself in a market the size of LA for 16 years. And now you're in Syracuse, New York. Um, I mean, how do you allow yourself to be okay with making moves like that and not, not getting attached to where you are? Well, I'm attached to LA. I love LA. LA is home to me. I spent, you know, a long time in LA. I get off the plane at LAX when I landed for the Super Bowl, and I love the airport. You know, nobody loves the airport. I love the airport because I spent a lot of time in the airport, right? I travel a lot. So I spent a lot of time there. So I just love Los Angeles. Um, It's I am connected to Los Angeles. I've moved around a lot. But when I moved around a lot, I saw great opportunity, one great opportunity after another. This was a great opportunity for me. It was something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a professor. I want to see can I you know, I want to teach journalism and I love everything about teaching journalism. Right. So opportunity trumps location opportunity, you know, this doesn't matter that I, where I am, doesn't matter. I'm in upstate New York, or we consider this, I guess, central New York, whatever it's that there's still, I can get on a plane and go anywhere in the world. There's opportunity still here. And it affords me the opportunity, the the ability. Look, I was still at the Super Bowl to go places and do things. And, you know, I still do plenty of things. I'm, I do, I'm doing podcasting. Um, you know, I'm doing, I do radio. I am just looking for my next opportunities. I'll see what comes along. You know, so it's just opportunity. I expect someday I would be back in Los Angeles. But in the meantime, I'll just see where I go. You know, who knows what can come around, you know. And do you have something, Sophie? I have one more question. I do have one just kind of a fun question. I mean, Liz, being a sports anchor in one of the largest markets in the country, I'm sure you've had your star studded moments. So I just thought it would be fun for our listeners to hear what was the moment that you were the most starstruck in your entire career? What was like the biggest person you ever interviewed? I'm not sure I get starstruck. I'm not sure. I think that's just years of experience of doing this that I don't think I get starstruck. I think younger early on, I might have been a little starstruck. I don't see myself as getting starstruck these days. Right. You know, I because you get used to being around people. I will tell you, though, Sophie, my favorite person that I covered, and I don't know, it's Kobe Bryant. It's just a clear cut Kobe Bryant to me. Kobe, Kobe was he had a lot of kindness toward me and I think toward other women who were in the locker room. Uh, I think he saw some of that struggle and he was good to us. So Kobe and Vanessa and the family, and he accomplished things that you, I mean, you know, when you talk about highlights of the things I've covered in my career, who has their last game, they score 60 points. And I mean, that was a Hollywood ending, you know? Um, It's so tragic that he died the way he died. He went on to win an Oscar or whatever, but he was one of my favorite people to cover. We always had great interviews and a lot of fun. We didn't always, rarely did we talk about the game. We talked about his life, his kids' lives, you know, and things like that. So um, I don't, if I were starstruck and I couldn't talk and there was somebody that I was just like in awe of, that wouldn't be a good place for me as a journalist, Mm -hmm. right? So my goal as a journalist is always to know that I'm on equal footing with everyone I talk to. They're just experts in their field and I'm an expert in mine. So that's kind of how I look at that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Especially, like I said, with you so young in your career in L.A., um, (laughs) you know, that you you think that you're faced with these icons and and you won't feel starstruck, but you're living proof that 
professionalism and journalism um, trumps all. So that all is the perfect um, encapsulation of, of relationships, your relationship and Kobe's ability to build relationships. Um, the, the questions you would ask that were focused on that interpersonal relationship, how vital is it to give that to people and for you to experience it back? Because I can tell you very clearly in, in my young experience, who has helped me out when I've been at a track and field meet and I've felt a little lost and someone has, has been helpful and, and guided me. Um, so just speak to your experience with that and um, your advice you give to aspiring journalists to be interpersonal. Um, you know, the thing about me was when I was covering and when I do cover or talk about sports, you, you know, you can you can hear the stats a million times. You can ask some player to run you through a play a million times. Everybody asks that same question, right? That's all you are get out of game, run me through that play. If I get the opportunity outside of that, you know, you always get a better interview, a better anything. If you've taken the time to show up when you didn't want to, to show up when you didn't want to, you know, the days when you wake up, you're like, why did I agree to do this? But you got to do it because it's going to mean something. And then to build the relationship enough that you'll have that person when you do the interview, talk to you about something more than the game. Okay. Then they're playing because the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter who you are, whatever sports fan you are, whatever you are, you're going to be a little more, uh, you like being in touch with the person that we're talking to as well. So if I talk to Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald and I both went to the University of Pittsburgh, right? Aaron Donald from the Rams. And we developed a relationship early on because if you can find that commonality, you can bounce off from there. So that's where we started off. And then there were, you know, things I learned. I meet his family. I meet his kids. I see them year after year. We talk about his hometown. We talk about his, you know, his extended family. There are commonalities between us. And then when we go for the interview, the thing that I put on tape, the thing that I keep, now it's much better. It's a warmer interview. And the audience has gotten way more out of that interview because maybe, you know, I'm talking to like, I can go back to Kobe, where I would talk to Kobe and he would tell me stories about Gigi playing basketball. And I had that interview. And that interview ran. I had him. I think I'm the only one who had that interview. The only one who talked to him about that and had that interview. It's a much better interview than asking him again and again about the 60 point game where he could. That's not as good. That's not the thing that people get emotional and want to get. They get emotional because they love it. It's fun. But they're not connecting with him as a person. So other people can connect if you connect. So the interpersonal relationship is very, it's a lot of work. You got to show up. You got to go to things you don't want to go to. You got to constantly, you got to do when you don't want to, you got to do when you're embarrassed. You got to do when you feel bad. You got to just keep going. <laughs> That's great advice. I will definitely take that advice into account mm -hmm. because I'm always a little timid um, to feel like I'm bothering someone when I'm in an interview and they're focused on something else. But um, that's a perfect example of, of what leads to success. And a lot of people measure their success when it's all said and done by all the relationships they built. And Liz, uh, you built a lot of relationships with people that you don't know of, but they built relationships with you. And um, Sophie made mention of her parents. My dad, when I let him know that I was interviewing you, um, said, give Liz a shout out for me. I really appreciated her Dodgers coverage, especially Aww. in the studio Rams coverage with Vince and Jackie Slater, both former LA Rams. So um, thank you so much for joining us. This conversation has been so valuable. Our, we talk to our listeners all the time about advice we want to give to them, advice we're seeking, and you answered a lot of those questions. So thank you so, so much, Liz. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. 
And anything I can do anytime, please, please reach out. Even if it's, I don't care what it is. You know, it does care. Be, you have to create a community and be there for each other. You're in hard fields. You're, you're working in hard fields and you want to succeed. So don't hesitate to reach out. And thanks for caring enough about me. I appreciate that. And hello to your parents. <laughs> Beautiful. They're the best. They're such big fans. <laughs> and we are They're the best. <laughs> All right. Thank that's you. it for the processing Bye. podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you guys in two weeks.